Hey, it's Cam. Welcome back to another episode of This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it is. Today's episode is sponsored by me. If you would like to listen to some guided meditations, the Cherry Pickers Awakening is released. It is a combination of guided meditations ranging from 2 minutes to 20 minutes, in addition to some theory, some tips and tricks to help you on your way, and a focus protocol to help build and sustain strong attention because where attention goes energy flows and we must be able to direct it with skill now let's dive in if you are like me you have a mind and it thinks and the emanations of this mind influence dictate shape and determine the quality of our experience there is no other way around it the quality of our thoughts results in the quality of our reality. And Marcus Aurelius discussed this frequently. You know, we have one of the most powerful men in the world at that time, controlling armies and empires, and still, he had days where he struggled to get out of bed, where his thoughts took over and they painted a picture of malaise, a melancholic melody and when we are granted with this tumultuous inner landscape, it's easy to surrender to that and assume that the reality that our thoughts paint is true. But there is no inherent truth to the thoughts that we think. There is nothing saying that they are the sole arbiter of what is real, what is going on. And Marcus spoke about how we have power only over our mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you have strength. We suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. I think Marcus said that too, but that might have been Epictetus. Either way, the, the narrative that our thoughts generate is our life. Healing occurs when the story changes. When the story of what was changes what is, which changes what will be. We can look back and reflect on our life and say, gosh, it's been so hard. There have been so many challenges but we cannot tolerate any kind of victimhood in our mind, even if we were the victims of horrendous behavior. We can acknowledge that, acknowledge that we went through traumatic events, acknowledge that we were the recipients of other people's pain, other people's hurt. But still, does it empower us? Does it allow us to tap into the vitality and inner strength that is within us, the resilience that allows us to navigate this experience without so much distress, without so much heartache on a day-to-day basis. We are molded through our thoughts. The thoughts chisel out the character of our experience, and if we hold on to toxic thoughts, we emanate toxicity. 
it bundles up our fascia, our bodies become tight and unyielding disciples of death. To be supple and fluid in thought and mind and body, that is the way of water. Strong, but yielding. Soft, but determined. Supple and flexible can bend without breaking. When we receive stimuli through our senses, first that stimuli travels through our limbic system, our emotional mind. That is the first response that we get from stimuli, is the emotional reaction. If we act immediately upon that emotional reaction, then we are more bystanders. We are more just something that experiences a cascade of events, a cascade of chemicals that is out of our control. But if we can hold on to our response just long enough for that information to travel to our prefrontal cortex, where rational thought occurs, we can use that rational mind to reflect. Before we respond, we can reflect and digest and predict is the emotional response going to serve me? If I allow anger to use my voice, my voice is now subject to that anger. My voice is no longer mine. It's the voice of anger. I'm being used by my primordial systems. But if you can bite down the response, hold on to it for a moment and think, how can I respond to this in a way that serves, in a way that grows, in a way that communicates what I really want to express, what's really going on, how this really makes me feel, and what I'm really going to do about it. It's hard. It's really challenging to get a hold of your thoughts, but you must, you must Learn to regulate your thoughts. It is your responsibility. It is your duty. And it is what will shape your entire experience of reality. Because our experience of reality is mediated by our relationship to what comes up in reality. And our thoughts are what dissect that relationship, project that relationship. People say you can't control your thoughts. You can. You can learn to regulate your thoughts, giving more attention, more power to the ones that serve, and less validation, less power, less attention to the ones that keep us stuck, the ones that keep us still. Now, you cannot help the thoughts that come up, but you can help how you respond to them. And through your response, through the perpetual effort towards right thinking, we change the foundation of those thoughts. We change the voice that comes to the surface. When we go through our days, we are granted, greeted with innumerable circumstances that trigger thoughts. Our emotional foundation, the energetic composition of, of our biology, influences the nature and character flavor of our thoughts. We 
do a lot better of controlling our thoughts when we take care of the body first. Because if the body is in a state of stress, if the body is in a state of anxiety, and we have cortisol, and we have adrenaline injecting their flavors into our thoughts, it is more challenging to drop the thoughts that hurt us and generate the thoughts that serve us. But when we take care of the body, move back into the body, become the body rather than just this floating head full of thoughts that happens to have a body that has needs, we have far more of a nuanced control over these thoughts. If I wake up and my thoughts are negative, I can recognize that now. I can recognize the stories that they say about what is working, what isn't working, why things are going wrong, why I feel like this, what I need to be doing about it, what I need to be doing about it, all the things that I'm not doing. No, I don't tolerate that. I don't consent. What I do instead is I stop thinking. Stop thinking. Your immediate reaction to that might be, okay, buddy, how do, you, how do you say that I do that? How do I stop thinking? Because the truth is, you are not the one that is thinking. You are not the thing that is thinking. You are what experiences those thoughts. You are the recipient of those thoughts. When I say stop thinking, what I mean by that is stop giving your attention to the thoughts. If I say to myself, that's enough, stop thinking, it will go quiet for a moment. Your subconscious mind goes, hey, what? Oh, stop thinking. You've never told me to do that before. And then it'll start thinking again. And I say, stop thinking. And what happens is we're extracting our attention. We're extracting the conduit of power from engaging with those thoughts. And when we take away the power, they get quieter. The thoughts slow down for a moment because we're not listening. I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you. I hear you. I love you, but I'm not listening. I'm not giving you my attention. I'm not giving you validation. When I stop thinking, I send my attention to my senses, the other tools we have to perceive reality. I send my attention to what I see. I send my attention to what I hear. I send my attention to what I feel in my body, the earth beneath my feet, the space above my head. If you have racing thoughts, you need to move your body. You need to move your breath. Slow down the exhalation and you'll slow down the heart. Slow down the heart, and you slow down the pace of the thoughts you experience in your mind. As you slow down the pace of your thoughts, you create more space between those thoughts, and it is within that space that you really reside. The backdrop of reality, awareness, the stage on which those thoughts dance. And when you say, stop thinking, the dance doesn't stop, but your attention on the dance is redirected. And where that attention goes, that energy flows, and then you can redirect that attention back to the thoughts with intention. I intend 
to cultivate positive thoughts. I intend to cultivate thoughts of love. I intend to use my thoughts to shape my reality. And what this requires is that we fashion our thoughts, fashion our mind using our intended state of being rather than the state that we are greeted with through our senses. This is what manifestation is too, right? When we are manifesting through the, maybe the conventional or traditional sense that people like to talk about on TikTok, we are holding a feeling and holding an image of reality in our mind and in our body that isn't necessarily what we see directly with our senses. This is faith as well. Faith is this belief that we hold close to our hearts, close to our being, that exists and sustains in the absence of clear and direct evidence. And when we use this faith that things are working out, that things will work out, that things are already working out, we extract our attention from the things that appeared to be obvious before, and we begin to enhance the field of probability that allows the manifested version of our ideal reality to emerge. When I sit down to meditate and I have a particularly restless mind, I will do a few things to settle into that meditation. Things that they don't have to be directly correlated with meditation. You can do this anytime, but acknowledge the thoughts. I'll say, I hear you. I see you. I see that you exist. I'm not ignoring you, but I'm also not going to validate you. Right now, I intend to sit. Right now, I intend to see. Right now, I intend to be. And I'm going to see lovingly. I'm going to hear lovingly. I'm going to feel lovingly. I'm going to invite that sense of love, that invite that sense of relaxation. And as I slowly begin to draw my attention closer and closer and closer to my meditation object, I will focus my awareness, focus my attention on what is in my peripheral vision. There's something that occurs when we focus on the peripheral vision that soothes the amygdala. Because when we are in an excitatory state, a stress state, a active nervous system state, we tend to be looking directly ahead at us. We tend to be looking at some single focal point, often the phone. And what this does is it activates our hunter systems. When you're locked onto a single focal point, the peripherals get dull and the center of our vision is enhanced. Our breath becomes short and shallow, as if you're waiting in the bushes, waiting for your prey. And this drip feeds a subtle cascade of cortisol and adrenaline and other excitatory chemicals into your body so that you're prepared to go, prepared to move. But often we aren't, often we don't, often we sit exactly where we are. And when we look at the phone, we have this thing that gives our mind the illusion that we're moving with each scroll, that we're approaching new horizons with each flick of the thumb. But the reality is 
our mind is doing all of the running for us and our body has no role to play. So with anxiety, with racing thoughts, with the tumultuous landscape, the, the mind, we got to come back into the body and we can do that by activating different sectors of it, rotating our attention around our senses, rotating our attention around our body. And when we dilate our vision and soften our gaze and allow more of our peripheral vision to come into our attention, we allow more of reality to come into us. Rather than it be an experience of reality that is filtered in through these very narrow parameters of anxiety and stress, we dilate that focal point, dilate that attention, dilate that awareness and allow more of this to come in. Because when we soften that gaze and tune into our peripheral awareness, we are redirecting some of the energy of those thoughts into figuring out what is going on in this peripheral. Because that peripheral vision is all like everything else, a hallucination. What we see over there is really this Bloody Mary, fill in the gaps, connect the dots with what things might be beyond what we can see. When we focus on our peripheral vision, it sends the attention of our thoughts, the energy of our thoughts into figuring out what exactly is over here, what exactly is over there. This allows your mind a job to do. It gives it something to focus on. And that's important because our focal point is the contact point of reality and consciousness. Consciousness is always making contact with reality, but often it's mediated by what the mind is thinking about reality. Whereas if we focus our attention and our awareness on the peripherals of our reality, the peripherals of our vision, the mind steps into the role of creating again. It steps into the role of generating reality with what is actually here, with what is actually present, rather than the effervescent and infallible nature of thoughts and mind. We engage in any kind of practice that allows us to reclaim and sustain our attention with our intention. Our attention is often just this little puppy that runs around and sniffs anything that comes into awareness. But we have to train that puppy to sit on command, to stay on command, to come on command. With this strength of attention, we can then expand our awareness because awareness tends to be dragged along by whatever our attention is focusing on. If we can redirect our attention towards more positive intentions, more serving intentions, we allow awareness to expand from wherever it is that our attention is resting. With that change of perspective, we see things differently. Because what you are looking at changes depending on where you're standing, depending on your vantage point. But at the end of the day, it comes down to identifying when your thoughts are not helpful, not serving, and letting go of those thoughts repeatedly 
many times, but you get into the habit of letting go, the habit of not holding on, and those thoughts don't have the same hold over you. They don't have the same strength. They don't have you in a vice grip anymore. They're just another emergent phenomena in reality, the first layer of the external world. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. You will find that the negative thoughts become less and less powerful, and you can shift those thoughts with greater ease, less friction. The negative thought comes up and you go, huh, okay, shift. Shift into a trajectory that serves you. People suffer in their thoughts. They suffer in their imagination. They suffer before events occur and they suffer long after they do because they hold on. They hold on. But you needn't. You don't need to hold on to everything. Let go of it all as many times as you need to. Your mind will learn. Your ego will learn. The me show gets quieter and quieter and you'll become the type of person where people meet you and they say, what is it about you? What is it about this person that seems so at peace, so playful, so at ease with all of this? Why is it that they seem to be having such a good time and I'm not? And that's it. It's when they start asking questions. That's when the game begins. Be the type of person that, through your presence, prompts questions. Because we're not here to tell anybody how to live, what to do, what to be. But if we can be that thing which is a catalyst for questions, that's when the healing begins. Because through questions, we start to pick apart the narrative that we've held on to for so long. And when we pick apart that narrative, we allow ourselves to build it up again, create the story that we want. We become the authors of our lives rather than the page, rather than the eyes that are glancing across a page that was written for us. And that's pretty dang cool. So that's all for today, folks. I love you. See you next time. And if you want to hear more of these podcasts and get involved in some live events, Q&As, live workshops, I highly recommend checking out the TMBH community. It is full of conscious, collaborative, curious folks, just like you and me. And it's a really special place. So I'd love to see you there. Until next time.